0: The whole thing is when I was presenting, people were just saying like, you know, like we did a whole bunch of research and as people was doing phone interviews, we interviewed the hiring manager. And it was really interesting because they say, they just said, "I, I can't see that person in the job. And it just occurred to me what people say, how they say it, their voice fluctuations are creating mental video in the hiring manager's mind.
1: Insured Nomads proudly supports the new Nomad podcast. Insured Nomads for the evolution of insurance, for the revolution of travel. For all your travel, medical, and support needs, please visit our website at insurednomads.com. We support our location-independent community worldwide.
2: Welcome to the new Nomad Podcast, hosted by Alan and Andrew of Insured Nomads. Join us as Alan and Andrew interview and explore the community of people and ideas that embody the nomadic spirit. Tune in to incredible discussions with thought leaders each week that will help you take full advantage of the cross border remote work lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts.
3: Hello, and welcome to the New Nomad Podcast. I have a great guest, somebody I've learned a lot from Paul Bailo. You know, it's hard to describe because he's a professor, <laughs> an author. Part futurist, chief transformation officer at Oz Digital Consulting. Somebody who I've learned a lot from, as a matter of fact, was working on a presentation, really didn't know how to bring it to life and suggested Pixar's six rules of storytelling. So just tremendous stuff. So not quite sure where our conversation is going to go today. And that's what I love about our conversations because it always gets to somewhere interesting. Paul, welcome. Welcome aboard. And just would love you to give a quick overview of, of your background, but mostly your intellectual curiosity and how we've gotten here today, because it's wonderful to speak with you. Yeah,
0: it's, I'm just a middle-class guy from Queens, New York. <laughs> so in this podcast, you're going to realize there's certain words I can't say. People think I have an accent, but it's not, I don't have an accent, right? People think I'm from Boston. I'm not from Boston. I'm from Queens, New York. So my background is, is I just glue stuff together at executive level. Currently, I'm the chief transformation officer at Oz, but I also do a social entrepreneur, Components, helping society, helping the blind people. I have a company called Phone2Pro that really helps blind people land jobs with New York State. Uh, most recently, I'm the uh, chairman of the board for COVID survivors for change, trying to help the millions of people, families that were impacted by COVID. And then academically at night, I teach. I teach at Columbia, and NYU, and yeah. I'm like a slave professor as an adjunct, just doing some cool stuff. So by day, I'm an executive. By night, I'm a professor. On the weekends, I try to help uh, society.
3: You have a seven-day work week, but it's interesting you know, to our audience that many of you are digital nomads out there looking for unique things. In an earlier conversation with Paul, which I thought was really interesting, Paul, you talked about the future of work. And I took a few notes and a couple of things I thought was really interesting and it ties in this audience is if you could talk to our audience a little bit about your thoughts on active versus passive income, because I see a lot of folks working towards what you were discussing and, and some of the ideas that you might have of actually Reaching the goal of transferring yourself to a, a passive income source, per se.
0: Yeah. So, first of all, I love working. I, I don't like, for some reason, our society thinks work is bad. So, you know, if you read the book, which is, you know, The Richest Man in Babylon, there's a whole section about work is your friend, right? So, I think mentally, we just have to think of work. Like when I work at Oz, I, it's just who I am. It's part of my DNA. When I'm teaching, it's just who I am. Like, I can't have one without the other. It's just who I am. Right. I, it just doesn't work. If I have a you know, if I'm an executive and I'm not teaching, it doesn't work. So I think we have to understand or have uh, individuals really have to come up to grips with what does work mean to them? To me, work is fun. Right. I think it just should be fun. And if not, then I don't want to do it. Right. It's that simple. But in order for me to do that, I have to have money in the bank or other sources of income. So I believe that most people don't want to work. I believe the future of work from what I've seen and read and researched and looked at the data is the future of work is no work, which means basically people want to do what they want to do, when they want to do it, where they want to do it, as long as they have some income, right? So this whole idea of, it's an idea of where does the money come from? And I think in nowadays money comes from many different places, right? In my world, it comes from working at Oz. It comes from teaching, but there's other income that basically I don't do anything for. You know, there is something called the bank account. There's something called dividends. There's something called rent, right? So if one could supersede the other and you have more you know, passive income, it's just sort of like an early pension. But in order to get that money and build that up, you have to do something to acquire those That's funds. Right.
3: That's right. Right.
0: So so at the end of the day, I'm coming to the conclusion that most people don't want to work. And the future of work in my mind is really that it's really just going to be this whole concept of, of passive income. As long as you have enough money in the bank or enough invested to be able to pay your bills, then I think you could do this. But at the end of the day, I'm not too sure if people, when they look in the mirror, that's enough. Like I wouldn't be happy with that. right? So that's really, I think the future of work is no work from what I'm seeing. It might be the future of work is doing really cool stuff that you really love doing, but not for stuff.
3: Yeah. Well, I think you've touched upon something that I've heard through our podcast. Like for instance, in this podcast, Paul, we've had people that have retired and they call it rewired. So they go on from retirement to rewirement where they're going to go to another country, learn a foreign language, experience it for maybe a couple months or years and then move on to something else. But they've had the passive income to support that or somebody who does taxes moves to Mexico and surfs when it's sunny, does taxes when it's not, and then also monetizes the stories about the surfing for passive income. So I think you're onto something. I think you just described our audience, but maybe it ties back to something else. And I ask you about this is you need to be passionate about something so it doesn't feel
0: like work, correct or incorrect. So I think this, yeah, that's a really good point. So I think the first thing is, is I don't think people don't want to work. I think people want freedom, Yeah, right? They just want freedom. But I think just being passionate isn't enough. I think you have to really look at three things. I think you, and I call it PPG. The first one is you have to have purpose. So you really have to figure out like what's your purpose in life, right? Like what is like and I you know, I'm Catholic and you know, we believe in Jesus Christ and and you know, there's a purpose, right? Yeah. But there's more to our life than just working. We have a purpose. Like my purpose, I believe is, is really helping my students and making them apostles and making them really great leaders and thinkers. And my purpose when I'm an executive and, and working with employees and stuff is to try to make their lives better. Right. I mean, that's my goal as a mentor and an advisor and fixing problems and taking thorns out of people's side. Yeah. So it's really purpose. And that purpose, if you align it, will automatically give you your passion. But the end all of this to be successful is what I learned in the streets of New York, which is grit, right? I mean, being a street kid from New York, you know, uh, we used to play in the streets. I mean, we were street (laughs) kids, right? So it was grit. Like, you you know, if you're down, your friends aren't going to pick you up. You got to get up yourself and keep moving and get going, right? So I call it PPG. I I think you can't just say, hey, I don't want to work. That's just sort of blindly in the blind, something there. But I really think if you could really think about what makes you happy, but you know, what makes you happy may not make you money. Yes. Right. And what may make you happy may not be your passion. And I believe everyone has some God-given gifts that make you really special. And the quest is to find out what makes you really special. Yeah. And then harness those powers to see if those God-given gifts are, is really your passion and can your passion turn into your purpose? And then stay with it, right? Don't give up. The problem that I see with most people is you just give up. Yeah. So it's
3: interesting. You talk about a couple of things in one of your earlier podcasts. Every seven years, there's a new job market. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear about that. That was the revelation to me, what you,
0: what you shared. Yeah, so I mean, think about it. I mean, there was something I read or saw in my early days when uh, there was a car company called Chrysler. Yeah, I remember right? Chrysler. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and everyone in the UAW was getting fired and the company was going out and the government had to come in. And there was a really smart Department of Labor, head of Department of Labor, And he was brought in to come in and say, okay, Patty's work is for the future. And he was like, look, the data says every seven years, the jobs that people will have will not be here. So in seven years, the jobs that you and I have don't even exist today, right? So you think of simple things like the mobile phone is what, 15 years old. You know, uh, mobile app development is relatively new, right? These are all new things. You're talking about, you know, AI and machine learning. This is all relatively new. These jobs that are being developed are relatively new and they haven't really come to the marketplace, but they will in all these new industries in seven years. That's roughly the time. So what people need to start thinking about is. Always look to the future and see what some trends are. Right, some big trends now, obviously data and analytics, uh, imaging, satellites, space. Right. So, space exploration, space tourism. You talk about that twenty years ago, never existed. But if you're interested in tourism and you're interested in being a flight attendant, don't go work for you know wait to go work for American Airlines. Start looking at Virgin and try to be the the stewardess or the pilot for you know going to space. If you want to be a hotel manager, don't worry about being the hotel manager at the it, start thinking about being the hotel manager on the moon. Start preparing yourself for this.
3: Well, you know, it's interesting too. It, you know, there are cycles. I mean, there's also generational cycles. Right now, there's a the thought that there's four different distinct generations and every 22 years those generations have different patterns. And you sit there and you put the seven years on top of the 22-year generational change. You know, people always say things change so quickly, but things always have been changing quickly. And I think one of the things yeah. that you brought <laughs> up that was really addressing and I know you're working with this is even just moving from in the past doing a job and now perhaps having like your own digital assistant and some of the different ideas that you have of what's coming that's going to change? Could you go into that? Because I was blown away on that conversation about the assistants.
0: Yeah. So there's a company that Oz Digital Consulting is working and partnering with called the IPsoft Amelia, and they have a very interesting viewpoint. The idea of having a chat or a bot, those days are over. What you really want to be thinking about is really having a digital human. So right now, everyone at work, predominantly certain roles, have a computer, right? So you have you leverage the power of a computer. But and then you have co-workers. The future of my co-workers will not just be you, Alan. It would be a robotic or a digital human agent that would actually carry out the task that would have KPIs. But The learning of that digital agent will actually learn from the best of the best of the best. So let's say hypothetically you have a call center. You have a call center that has sort of like the top three people. They do certain things really, really well. You could go teach a human agent to do this. Yeah. Where the human agent is not just sort of helping, but the human agent is really facilitating the task at hand. It's not like a helper, it's actually equal to the best person you have. Gotcha. Now, my vision of this is just like people are building apps, I have a vision that the future of work, especially for, uh, you know, nomads traveling around, I could see people building a bunch of these human sort of you know digital agents that work for you and you rent them out yeah <laughs> just like staff, right? So you know it's like renting out an app. only I build this this digital agent equal to a human that does really good conversation sales conversation. yeah So I could go build this and someone wants a sales agent, they could hire a person or they could hire my digital agent and you rent that person out. It's almost like a virtual sales force in my mind, yeah. right? And at the end of the day, you know, when it's time for reviews, you will be reviewed by the leadership and the agent will be reviewed in terms of performance. But the future of work is really this, this symbiotic relationships, not only between human and computer, but I believe it's going to be between human and this sort of human agent, which is really powered by data, data analytics, AI, and machine learning.
3: Well, you know, it, it ties also into your earlier conversation on passive income. If I create yeah. a staff of these digital agents and I rent them out, yeah. I was active in building them, but I'm now passive in the income that comes in as they assist you. I, I think that's genius.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's cool. it all fits in, right? Like people hire me to glue stuff together, right? So like, I like glue people together. I glue companies together. I glue digital transformation issues together. But, you know, I mean, and once again, I think people are just looking for freedom at the end of the day. People want to do what they want to do when they want to do it. And I think organizations, corporations, and leaders failed a lot of people, right? I mean, you know, I mean, the things that I went through, my kid will not go through, right? You're working for a boss who's not that nice. You have to, certain places, I have friends who had a wear. Certain shirts and certain ties, and right? I think, like, wow, this sounds like jail, and the inability to think about things you really want to think about. Now, today, if I don't like the job, people are like, younger generations, like, I'm leaving, right? It's like you just touch them a little bit, and they're like, I don't need this job. I'm out of here, right? Is it right or wrong? I don't know. But I know a lot of things that my friends had gone through, like, wow, it, it was really rough. And uh, this generation has done a lot to say, look, I expect in a job to be fulfilled. I expect that the job will make. You know, make me a better person. Make me more marketable. I learn some really cool stuff. I'm going to enjoy the people I'm working with and do really cool stuff. But if that's not the case, most people would be like, "I'm out of here."
3: You hit it. We're doing really cool stuff, and I think you touched upon this in something that I saw your writer talk about. Is you know, in our community, there's a big conversation about this great resignation. I've not totally bought into that, and I heard you. I kind of had it almost as a great restructurement, but I think you said it even more eloquently in one of your conversations. Could you explain to our audience your thoughts on the big pause? Because I think this ties into people taking stock, almost like the last pandemic in 1918, 1919. People took stock and they said, the world has changed. I want to go to Paris and be an artist. I love your concept of the big pause. Would love you to share your futuristic view on that.
0: Look, so look at what we've gone through, right? We've gone through, in my view, this crazy presidency, right? Yep. You know, with the past president. We've gotten... You know this virus, this crazy virus. A million people that we know have passed away for what two, two and a half years. Yeah, we now have this Putin war. Yep. I really think people are just tired, and then people are just saying like, "Look, I'm leaving this job," and it's just the little things that people like. I don't want this anymore. I'm tired of doing this, and I'm out of here. So you see in the news, everyone saying, "Hey, all these people are, are resigning," but when you really look at it, they're coming back. They are. They're basically saying. I need a break. It's like a mental, emotional pause in their careers to evaluate what is meaningful for them at a level that we've never seen before. So it's not like I'm out of here. I don't want to work again. It's more along the lines of, look, I put up enough with this company and what you've done to (laughs) like, you know, like, hey, your leadership and management is really bad. I'm out of here. I need a moment to think about what I want because COVID has forced me to realize there's a time limit on my life. COVID has realized that people around me will not be around forever. And there are dreams and things that people want to do that are saying, why am I waiting for retirement to do this? Let me go do this, but they will be back. I think it's just that they need a mental rest of all this chaos in their lives, in their world between, you know, the outside world the inside world, work itself, people's lives and lives are messy. And they just need sort of to say, hold on, let me stop. Let me think. Maybe I need some more education. Maybe there's something down deep I didn't realize that that I'm really interested in. And what has happened is, is this COVID has forced people to evaluate what's important in their lives. And they are taking stock of this and saying, I'm going to stay in this job or I'm out of here and I'm going to do something totally different. But they will be back. It's not like they're not going anywhere. And you could see it if organizations offer the right benefits, the right pay, the right culture, they will be lining up for you. If you offer this antiquated leadership, structural things like like my wife worked for IBM. It was very structured. And I'm thinking like, wow, that's really a tough Please, if you keep that culture, there's no way in hell people want to work in that culture.
3: Well, and also you want leadership that inspires and raises people up. And I'm seeing now certain entities are like, no, you have to return to the office. And people are saying, you know what? There's somebody else who will hire me for my job that I can work two days in the office, three days at home, or you can give me flexibility. And I think this day of management, you know, basically looking over your shoulder the whole time If you don't have good employees that you can't trust to work at home, you've got a problem to begin with, right,
0: Paul? Right. you got a bigger problem, right? Well, first of all, it's really funny because in the early days of the virus – When Google sent everyone home, development increased, you know, the coding development increased by 20%. The bigger problem you have to realize if you're in a management position and your team just did as well at home, you really have to say, were you adding any value to the equation? Or were you just really just creating yourself a job that really added no value? I think people have to be honest with themselves and say, am I here just to get money or am I really adding value to the people who I'm supporting? Are you a mentor? Are you a advisor? Do you know them psychologically? Are you helping them in their lives? Do you look at them holistically? I mean, I have at times I have over 3000 people working for me, right? And my executive team, what I would try to do is every day think about them, but always be ahead of them, right? If someone got married, right? Why do they have to come knocking at the door and say, can I get extra week off? You should be there saying, Hey, you're getting married. Go take an extra week off, right? You should be ahead of mom. It's like mom at Christmas time. Like mom has all, gives you all the gifts that you really wanted without asking. Leaders and managers need to do this. Like, why are you making it harder for your employees? So, this whole concept of what work means, we have to get it from this mindset of, you work for me, I work, you know, this is it, this is my level. That's all bullshit in my book, yeah, right? Yeah. What are you adding value to? Where would you want, wear your birthday suit, you know, your birthday suit to work? I don't really care. Get the job done, but do it really well, right? I mean, because at the end of the day, all it matters is value, right? Now my argument goes all out if you're in a factory floor and you're putting a wheel on. But even then, there was a study done. There were two factories. One was an American factory. And one was a Japanese factory. The heart, minds, and souls of the people on the factory floor were very different. The American factory were taskmasters. The factory floor in Japan, they were artists. They believed they were building artwork. American factory workers believed they were just building cars. Same material, same robotics, but the Japanese car would last better because they were just so much tighter. They're, if it was supposed to be, you know, if the screw was supposed to be at 1.0002 torque, it was at yeah, 1.00.2 yeah. torque. The American car, man, eh, we're close.
3: Especially if it's built on a, a Monday or a Friday.
0: <laughs> yeah, or a Friday, right? They say yeah, in the United States, you never buy a car on a Monday or a Friday, right? But it's you can't just sort of say, like it's like going to New York City and they're doing a lot of building. Right. So there's one time I, you know, I saw a, a bricklayer and I said, wow, what are you doing? He said, what do you think I'm doing? I'm laying bricks. Right. I'm thinking, wow. OK, typical yeah, New Yorker. Yeah. Right? Like I'm just like I go up the block. There's someone else who's putting bricks up. And I go, what are you doing? He goes, I'm building a cathedral. Same job, same task completely different mindset. And the person who's saying they're building a cathedral, it's just a little bit tighter with those bricks. That cement is just a little bit better. Everything is, so that you can't just say, I'm doing the job. You have to have their heart, minds, and souls. And, you know, study after study after study. The way you make someone feel is a direct correlation to their productivity, which is direct correlation to the value that they bring to the company. So you can't just have bodies coming to work. You want their heart, minds, and souls But you really have to make sure they're engaged, that they like what they're doing. Look, no one wants to go to work and be miserable. I mean, people don't wake up and say, hey, I want to fail today. I mean, right? I mean, like, it's it's craziness, right? It's absolutely crazy. But you want to build an environment that allows people to be who they are. And I think going back to what we talked about is I believe that Who you are and having an organization that accepts you for who you are is really the future of work. We've been trying years and years and years to do like reviews, right? I don't believe people really change much. I know we like to think about this, but I think what you're really good at and what you're really bad at, you're always going to be really good at this and you're really always going to be bad at that. I would advise people to stop spending time on what you're really bad at and spend really more time on what you're really good at. And the proof in the pudding is when you go to the Olympics, or you're watching the Olympics, the person who's a really good swimmer is a really good swimmer, but that person can't ice skate. And the person who's an ice skater is really good at ice skating, but they're really terrible at swimming. So what we have to figure out is going back to your purpose, you know, and your passion and holding on to grit, just like an Olympic athlete, you really have to find out what you're really good at. And over and over and over, the critical pieces don't spend too much blood, sweat and tears on what you're bad at. Okay. You got to make it at least acceptable for people, but look at what you're really good at and hone that in. So if you have a salesperson who's a really good salesperson and they could close a deal at 10,000, they could probably do a good job selling and perfecting at a hundred thousand. If they could sell something at a hundred thousand, they could do a million and then they could learn and get trained to do 10 million, 20 million, a hundred million, a billion, a trillion, right? As opposed to spending all that time on saying, I need to be a better listener, right? So you have to really say, look, you have to be a good listener or, you know, you have to get to a certain level that's acceptable. But the reality of it is you're always better off putting your time on your God-giving gifts and those skills, just like an Olympic athlete. That is really where the data is saying you're better off at this because millions of people every year get an end of year review and in my book not much changes yeah right? yeah I mean, I have a quick yeah. I have a friend yeah. a dear friend I will give you his name's Jimmy right and uh, he had his he worked for a very large Wall Street firm and I said to him how was your end end the year review and he goes Paul to be honest with you I looked at my from my corporate job at a Wall Street firm my end of year review and I pulled up my third grade report card there wasn't much difference <laughs> <laughs> right so so no matter what you're gonna do you are what you are like if you're a hammer be a hammer if you're a screwdriver be a screwdriver but you know or if you're a swiss pocket knife be a swiss pocket knife but identify who you are and spend time honing your skills like i am really good at gluing stuff together i'm really good at it right transformation figuring stuff out you know i'm really good at it right but If you want me to like make you a pottery or paint something, I'm terrible, right? It doesn't work. I'm terrible at it. But I know what I'm really good at, right? I'm good at educating and speaking and writing and doing, you know, even writing. I have, I've been, my books have been around the world. And when I went to Catholic school, Brother Ed thought I was a terrible writer. In high school, I was an absolute disaster. But I said, wow, you know, I think I can make this out. But deep inside of me, I wanted to write about what I wanted to write about, not what you wanted me to write about.
3: But you're intellectually curious. A couple of things come come out right away, and this is why I really enjoy meeting you and and speaking with you. Is first off, you like to mentor people. You like to make people better. There's a lot of people who I don't feel like to make people better because they feel like, if you're better, I'm worse. Uh, And and the other thing that is you're intellectually curious, and I'd love you to share a bit because you touched upon the book. You wrote a book, The Essential Digital Interview Handbook, to make other people better. I think our audience here does a lot of interviews digitally or by phone I think some of your wisdom would be really helpful to that. I-, I was blown away by what you did. Could you could you share just a, a little taste of that? And of course, when the show notes, uh, when this comes out, we'll make sure that
0: people have the ability to find. You look, My book agents always tell me, so, I don't really do a good job selling the book. I think it's just, you know, so the so first thing is, is I think in the end of the day, what makes me happy is really seeing people successful. Yeah. That's the first. So people who help people have a really good life and a happy life. So my belief is the goal of life is to help people, either in teaching and mentoring, advising. And people don't want to help people. I think really sort of is is an egotistical thing, to your point, who's better, who's worse. And you never really want to get into that. It's who they are. It's it's not going to change. I've never seen it really change. So you really want to identify people willing to help each other. I mean, there's nothing better and really being a parent and watching your children grow or or being an executive and watching your staff bloom and be successful. I think it's absolutely fantastic. The books I wrote, the first one ever was really about essential Phone to handbook. And what I was trying to do is, a few years back was a lot of people weren't getting jobs. And I said, when I looked at this in a process mind point, it's because they can't talk. They can't speak correctly. And I created, when I was doing my PhD research, I built a whole algorithm and a whole set of models to perfect voice communication and what you say, what you do in creating mental video on a phone interview has translate translated in you know, high success of landing the face to face interview. But it's literally the first book. It's called the essential phone interview handbook. It's the only book of its kind for since interviewing in the phone came out. No one, everyone has missed in the career service industry of the phone interview.
3: Well, you know, it's interesting. This is a true story. We had two great candidates for a sales job. We met them actually on a reverse order. We met them face-to-face, but a lot of our selling is on the phone. And it was a dead heat. So we picked a third party and we said, you're going to call that person up and you're going to have a phone interview. And this is the deciding vote. They didn't know this was the deciding vote. And it was amazing. One gentleman had like a 45-minute wonderful conversation. The other one had like 12 minutes of dead air. And to this day, we hired the gentleman. Still a close friend. And by the way, one of the great things is he's he's left my organization, but we still stay in touch. And we, I yeah, told him great. the story, but it was his interview on the phone that made the difference. Mm-hmm. But also we learned that yeah. if you could talk to somebody on the phone without really seeing the visual cues, this mm-hmm. is even before what yes. we're doing now, there's <laughs> somebody who can really communicate well, Paul. So when I saw that you Absolutely. wrote that book, kudos to you, because it is an oh, honor. My noted skill that people need to work at
0: that's very kind of you i mean the whole thing is when i was presenting people were just saying like you know like we did a whole bunch of research and as people was doing phone interviews we interviewed the hiring manager and it was really interesting because they say they said "I, i can't see that person in the job and it just occurred to me what people say how they say it their voice fluctuations are creating mental video in the hiring manager's mind so what you say you're we've done studies on when if a hiring manager calls a candidate what ring you pick up the phone
3: Oh, wow. Right. It's
0: a whole psychological yeah. piece. And, yeah. and just recently, uh, we are actually, I mean, this is, this is a, a plug really. Yeah. So we basically took this book. I finally had the time and money to build something called Land It, which is the gamification of the research in my book, which really allows someone to go online and go through this really pretty cool. We call it Opportunity Park, Sure. which allows you to go and learn about phone interviewing. And then we created this other thing called Voice Valley, which basically profiles your voice. So you could read a script. We built the AI models behind it and it will tell you if you sound like a CEO or an intern or a manager and it gives you immediate feedback. No one has ever done this in terms of phone and voice, because the voice during a phone interview or a regular interviewing process is the only weapon you have to get the job. Yes, Either it's on the phone or face-to-face, but that's the weapon that you have. What you say, how you say it, the words you use are critical in order to actually get the job.
3: Well, you are somebody who always seems to note and see overlooked. We ask all of our guests in the podcast to maybe share an overlooked person, place, experience, book, whatever that somebody listening to this podcast would say, you know what? I'm going to look into that. Mm -hmm. Paul, could you share one of an overlooked one for us?
0: Yeah. So an overlooked book, which has been around, which is really pretty interesting. It's been around, I forgot how many hundreds of years, is Marcus Aurelius' memoirs. So Marcus Aurelius was a Roman emperor. He was a general. It is one of the most thought-provoking books I've ever read. And I'm not too sure if you can really read it. It's really his memoirs. So it's a book that was written, written in Greek. It was translated. But what he had said hundreds of years ago is what could be used today in the executive boardroom. And it's really a reflection of his life, And he was a Stoic, but he was fighting wars for the Roman Empire. He had to deal with the political bullshit in the Roman Senate. But that book is something that parents should give their children, like, as soon as they could start reading because it's almost like Shakespearean plays. This is truly how you may want to lead people and how you want to think about your life and how you want to think about the political arena that we live in. But it's called Marcus Aurelius's Memoirs that was translated from Greek to English. But I make it indirectly, I tell all my students they should read this book <laughs> because it's not something that's for my class at Columbia or NYU. It's a, it's a book that will transpose your entire life.
3: Great conversation today. Paul, could you share for our audience? And of course, we'll have in the show notes, places where people can find you.
0: Oh, yeah. just uh, You could just re- look at me, uh, Paul Bello and LinkedIn. You can also look at Odds Consulting in the About Us page. We do a lot of cool digital transformation, AI work. Uh, and you also, you know, my social company, my little entrepreneur company is called Phone Interview Pro. And the new product we're building is called Landit, which is really hopefully help a lot of people. I mean, because no one's ever done it before, and this would really sharpen everyone's skills. And,
3: and I think we'll have you back on when Landit is... Oh, yeah, it'd so folks, wrote, yeah. That would, It'd be great. So yeah. so what did we learn today? I learned a lot. As a matter of fact, to our listeners out there, I have a full page of notes. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, active and passive income, the big pause, Landit, and we talked about... Uh, you know, seven years, new job market. Just a a tremendous conversation today. I'm sure we'll get Paul on again. I do suggest you to go to YouTube also and look up some of his conversations on the future of work. Just a tremendous job. So with that, I want to wish all of our listeners uh, safe travels. Please uh, continue to subscribe to The New Nomad. It's very important if you like this podcast to just mention it to one other person. That's how these type of audiences grow. We look forward to hearing more from you in the not-so-distant future. Travel well, travel safe.
1: Insured Nomads proudly supports the new Nomad podcast. Insured Nomads, for the evolution of insurance, for the revolution of travel. For all your travel, medical, and support needs, please visit our website at insurednomads.com. We support our location-independent community worldwide.
2: Thanks for tuning in to the new Nomad podcast where we bring together an incredible community of people and ideas that embody the nomadic spirit. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review. For more amazing tips to help you take advantage of the cross-border lifestyle, please visit us at insurednomads.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.